of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Have you ever seen those commercials for lifeline screening? It's this medical procedure that they do where they take a high-powered ultrasound machine and they, they scan your major arteries and organs looking to see if there's anything wrong, like maybe a, a buildup of plaque in your veins. And they claim then by detecting those things early, they're able to prevent things like stroke or heart disease, a heart attack, and, and hopefully even then death. So they urge people to get that done because it's just good to check out what's inside your heart. But as, as good as that machine and that procedure might be, you know, it, it doesn't go deep enough. It's not able to detect, is God in your heart? Do you have faith? Well, of course we'd say there's, there's no machine that could do that. Technology isn't that advanced. But there is something that can detect if God is there. God himself tells us what it is. It's his word. He tells us the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As we are coming up on a very important time of the church here called Holy Week and Easter, it's good that maybe we do some soul searching, some examination or searching of our own soul or heart. Now, why now? Well, Holy Week and Easter is the most important time in the church year. I know that we give a lot of attention to Christmas in our society. A lot of that attention we know is focused on outside or material or physical things and not always so much on the spiritual. But Holy Week and Easter, that is focused on the spiritual. The most important part of Jesus' ministry for us. Because you see, Christmas is just the start. It finds its fulfillment and its purpose in the events of Holy Week and Easter. So as we approach that time in just a few weeks, let's do some examining of our soul. As we see, that's what Jesus himself does. Some soul-searching of us. Today, we're going to hear him as he analyzes our souls looking for love or rejection. Listen to this account from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and what Jesus says in response. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, 
how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Soul-searching. Jesus was searching three different groups of people and examining their heart. Herod, the Pharisees, and the people of Jerusalem in general. Let's take a look at what he was looking at, and as we do that, let's see what it means to do some self or soul examination. The situation is that the Pharisees come and give Jesus a warning about Herod. Herod was the Jewish king over that region. He was somewhat powerless, though, because the Roman government was really in control. But yet, he himself was a very wicked and cunning man. That's why Jesus referred to him as a fox. Some of the things that were going on in, in his life would give us a little more idea into what that means. He, just a short time before this event, had John the Baptist beheaded because he was persuaded by a young lady with whom he had an incestuous relationship to do that very thing. And so now, this man who is to be the leader of the people apparently wants to kill Jesus. Why is that? Perhaps this was a case of him deceiving God. I mean, he's the king, the king of the Jewish people. They would respect him, wouldn't they, as, as being an important man and, and a leader? And yet, he had John the Baptist put to death. We heard that he wanted to see Jesus because he wanted to see Jesus do a miracle or two. He was interested to see what that was like. Maybe, maybe that was some form of entertainment or, or amazement, a, a wow, so to speak. But what was really going on in his heart? Did he want to kill Jesus like he also killed John the Baptist? Did he think that perhaps because of his, his robes, his position, his title, that he could deceive God? into thinking that he was a right, good person? But then we have the Pharisees come and warn Jesus that Herod is out to kill him and he should leave the area. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were that group of religious teachers in, in the Jewish religion who were always at odds with Jesus. They were always arguing with him. In fact, they would soon plot against Jesus and have him put to death. Why is it they were coming to Jesus and warning him about Herod? Was it a trick? Or was it legit? It gets us to ask the question, were they simply lying to God? It seems that they were pretty good about that, about the lying to God. You remember a story that Jesus told about a Pharisee coming into the temple. 
coming right up to the altar and saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not a murderer or a thief or an adulterer. And they were, in a sense, lying to God because all they were doing was boasting about how good they looked. And maybe now, in working with Jesus or coming to Jesus, maybe now they're, they're lying too. Maybe it was all a trick. Maybe they wanted Jesus out of Herod's jurisdiction to get down into Jerusalem so they could get their hands on him. So they could listen and watch more closely as to what was going on. In other words, maybe it wasn't really any concern at all for Jesus. It was just one big lie. Now from that, Jesus then talks about the people in general with these words. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Wow. Some of the saddest words in the scriptures are right there. That reveal something about the power of the human will that they can reject God. Jesus was saying how often he was calling them together, how often he was there to bless them and to teach them, but they were not willing. Just points out for us how strong our human will can be, that it can even resist the working of God. In a sense, it's like plaque that builds up in the arteries and is going to block the flow of blood. So the deceit and the lying, the sinful pride can build up in us and, and block that love and grace of God that we need. Now we might think, well, that's impossible for us, right? Because we believe. But weren't Herod and the Pharisees and the people of Jerusalem the people of God? Later on in the scriptures, there's a letter written to a group of people that are addressed as simply the Hebrews. They were Jewish people who became Christian. And because of the difficulties they were experiencing now being Christian in a society that didn't want them, they were starting to back away from the Christian faith. And the writer of that letter gives them a warning about rejecting God. He writes, So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You see what he's telling us? That we can fall into sin and live in that sin and lie about it and try to deceive God and ourselves with our, our show, our good feelings, but actually be turning away from God. Later on, the same writer would then talk about what happens when you reject God. 
He would say, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? He's reminding us that there is a heaven that God is calling us to, but there is also a hell for those who reject God. Very sad, very tragic words. You were not willing. What's in your heart? If you go to get one of those life scan tests, they're going to look to see the condition of things. And when they find something that's troubling, they're going to alert you to it and urge you to take some action. But what about our soul? Are we trying to deceive God? With the title that we wear, with the position that we hold, with things that we do, that we look good to God, don't we? Like Herod? The scriptures remind us, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Are you honest with God? Or, like the Pharisees, are you lying? Do you count up all the good things that you do and, and you say, you see, that kind of balances out and, and takes away those, those faults that I have? Do you try to look good just to cover up what the truth is? The truth is that you need a Savior. The Apostle John talks about the line that we might do to God when he writes, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. If you're lying to God, the truth is you're also lying to yourself. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you knew you had something wrong with your heart, if there was plaque building up in your arteries... Wouldn't you seek to have something done about it? The scriptures have revealed to us that there is something wrong inside of us, but there is something that can be done to remedy it. John also writes this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, he tells us there is a lifeline. It's Jesus. Jesus' blood has come into us and has purified us. His righteousness becomes ours through faith. And the sin, the deceiving, the lying, it's all forgiven. 
because God has taken away those sins in Christ and punished him for them and not us. We are forgiven. We are right with God when we see that it's Jesus who is our Savior. Now, just as the people who do that lifeline screening are going to tell you if they see something wrong, so the Scriptures also urge us to tell one another if we see something that's wrong. The writer to the Hebrews, again, says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you know somebody who needs some encouragement? Do you know somebody who needs to know that there's something wrong inside and they need to be cleansed? Do you know somebody who needs to be reminded about their Savior? Then as long as it is today, encourage them. And here's how you encourage them. With Jesus' love. With his love that searches out our souls. Listen to what Jesus said. Go tell that fox, referring to Herod, I will keep on driving out demons and healing today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. You see what Jesus is telling us? He's got a goal, and nothing is going to stop him. Nothing is going to get in the way to prevent him from doing what he came to do, which was to save us. Jesus wasn't worried about that threat from Herod. He just kind of laughed it off. Jesus wasn't afraid of death. In fact, he had an appointment with death. And that's what he was talking about. He was going to go on to Jerusalem because there he knew that he would suffer and die. His goal is the cross. But Jesus wasn't going to die like he was some martyr who was overpowered and wouldn't give up his cause. No, Jesus would die as the substitute, as the Savior. Jesus was in control of all that was going on. He himself told us, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It was God's plan. It's God's goal that Jesus would suffer the cross. The purpose, one more goal, you. To bring you to God. This was not uh, an alternate plan because the first one failed. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was the lamb prepared to be sacrificed before the creation of the world. It had always been God's plan, his one and only plan for Jesus to come and to save us. And despite that needing to be done, God still went ahead and created us, though he knew that we would rebel against him and had the plan to redeem us. His goal 
is you to make you his children forever. In Jesus' words, we see his love. Now the scriptures give us a lot of interesting uh, pictures or, or metaphors for Jesus, right? It'll call him a rock and a refuge. Calls him the light of the world, the lamb of God, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, the life. But did you see another picture that Jesus spoke of about himself in the middle of this passage? How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus calls himself a hen. He was just talking about the fox. Now he's talking about a hen. Well, what picture do we see in a hen? One of the first things that maybe comes to mind is that, that chicken clucking away. Now why is it clucking away? Maybe it's grumpy, I don't know. But that's how it talks. That's how that hen communicates to its chicks and calls them to her. Jesus was simply saying, I'm calling you. Now, how does Jesus call us? In our scripture reading that we had earlier, it tells us what God's plan is, you, and it tells us how he carries out that plan. In that scripture reading from Ephesians, it says, when you heard the word of truth, God called you to be his and sealed you with his Holy Spirit. God calls us in his word. God calls us with his sacrament to know his grace, his love, that we are his. Now, that hen probably also calls her chicks and gathers them together so they can eat. Now, excuse the pun, but I bet there's some kind of pecking order in that hen house. That is, I got a feeling those big ones probably push all those little ones out of the way to get to that food. And so that hen steps in to make sure her chicks get fed. So Jesus, too, feeds you, calling you to his word, telling you to, to put aside those other things that take you away. Don't let things get in the way for you hearing God's word and being fed with his grace. And finally, Jesus says, he, he gathers those chicks together. That hen gathers those chicks together to, to protect them, to love them. So God gathers us together, not only together as fellow Christians, but under the wings of his mercy and his love, to be forgiven, to be blessed, to stay his forever. That's God's love for you. I'll do some soul searching these next few weeks as we get closer to Jerusalem and that cross. Do you hear Jesus calling you? Are you coming to him to be fed, to get the spiritual strength that you need for this walk in this life? Are you living under his loving, protective covenant?
cover of grace. Jesus has come. He's calling you. He is your lifeline. Come and stay with Jesus. Amen.